What would you give to hear God speak to you right now? Like my gut is, as we look around at the the world around us, as people thinking through who Jesus is, who God is, as I meet people on the street, we, we want God to speak. We want to hear from him if he exists, and we want him to, I guess, make a difference, make a noise in our lives. If you heard God speak right now, and you could be sure it was him, would you listen? Would you listen to him? I think for most of us, the answer is if I could be sure, yes, I'm there. You know, this is God speaking. The question I want us to think through this morning is how do we hear God speak? Paul starts his next section of the letter to the Thessalonians with these words in verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you receive the message about God that you heard from us, You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the message of God, which works effectively in you believers. Here we have in this sentence from from a man in history an incredible claim. The claim that (laughs) I think so many of us often, I I know I do, take for granted. The claim that those who aren't Christians find hard to believe. As you hear the words of Scripture... The words of the Bible, you hear God. As you hear the words of Scripture, you hear God. What I want us to do for a moment is just ponder really this verse and then some of its implications for the way we think about the world and God and understand together what is the nature of the Word of God. How do we understand the Word of God? And the first thing I want us to see as we come to this passage is the humanity of the Bible. Uh, this is something that pretty much everyone agrees with, that the Bible is written by mankind. Uh, that's what I hear when I, when I chat to people about uh, the authority of Scripture, like, oh, it's just a book written by man. And I'm like, that's right. It is written by man. Most would agree it has human authors. But not just any men. Men who knew Jesus, whom he sent out to proclaim the news of who he is and what he had done. Men who, um, uh, the apostles who knew Jesus, said, yes, this writing is true. Not just any men, but men who were there, who intersect with history. The humanity of Scripture is the idea that God used the intellect and skills and personality of finite and fallible humans to write down what was divine and infallible. Is it possible that God could work through humans? Well, one of the great advantages we have is that some other ancient writings, like those from uh, about Muhammad uh, and say that the Mormon church, that, that God has just spoken to someone far off and we just have to believe that he said them. But here in Scripture, we see that God spoke in the person of Jesus. And these humans, this mankind, were around and saw what went on and recorded what he said. We have a real intersection with history. And if you take out the humanity of the Bible, it just becomes, well, it could just be a myth. But the humanity of this, these, these words, that they are written by real people in real time, means there was someone who saw what went on and they were convinced of who Jesus is and what he had done. Paul says, uh, this is when you receive the message about God you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, 
the message of God. That's the second point we understand about Scripture, the divinity of Scripture. It isn't just merely the words of humans. It's the message of God. It has two authors. Uh, Theologians talk about the dual authorship of Scripture, Um, that, that there are always two authors. Not that one author wrote some and the other wrote the other, it's that God wrote 100% and, and man, men, different people throughout history wrote 100% of those bits. You've got to hold both of them. That doesn't mean the scriptures are imperfect any more than having two natures of Jesus means he was sinful. Let, let me show you this for a second. People say, oh, because um, humans were involved, they mucked it up. If God had just done it, if it was no humans involved, it was just God, then yes, we could be sure that the scripture is true. But if we, apply that, if we apply that same logic to Jesus, then we say, well, if Jesus is truly human, then he couldn't have been perfect. He must be sinful. He must have mucked something up. No, we understand throughout history that Jesus was truly divine and truly man. And so scripture sits in a similar ballpark that is truly human, yet truly from God. And if it's God's word, if it's actually from the creator of the universe, it must all be true. Do you see that? If God is good, if God is in control of all things, if he is powerful and he speaks, he is the author of this word, then it must be true in what it says. Um, For in God, there can't be any error or any deceit. And the fact that it's without error means that the word of God always needs to stand over us as humans. We don't stand on top of it and say, this is what I think it says, and we change it, and we we think, I'm going to take this bit out and put that bit in. No, we must stand and accept it as God's word. This is a profound verse, friends. The Bible's divinity, is what it's called, means that because God is its author, there's also a kind of unity across all of its pages. Uh, People kind of go, but the book, they're written by humans from about a 1,500-year period. Um, maybe even more, um, across time where we've got people from Moses writing all the way through to the first century and there are different people in different places that had different points that they were making. But here's the thing, if there is one author behind the Bible, yes, it's human, but yes, it's from God, then there is one message. There is a cohesion about the Bible that means as we come to these scriptures, because they're breathed out by God, we should be looking for how they fit together. And that means as we approach God's word, we don't approach it looking for errors in in, in order to say, oh, look, that's wrong. But we approach saying, well, if one God has spoken this to me, to us in history, then we need to understand how they fit. We let scripture interpret scripture. See, God, he's not schizophrenic in his revelation to us. It's not like he wrote at one point or spoke through human authors, say Moses or the prophets, and and spoke one way. Then he woke up the next day and went, oh, you know what? I want to say something different. Like, he's not like Rowan. If if you know me and my kids, uh, when I'm kind of saying, you guys, there's a new rule. It's one of my sayings. Guys, new rule. We've got to keep doing this. The next day, I forget what I've said. And and they'll go, but dad, yesterday you said. And I'm like, did I? (laughs) God is not like Rowan, thankfully. (laughs) Not at all. He is not like us. He has one message throughout history. And sure, it looks different as as time goes through, as he reveals more of himself and more of his plan. But that message consistently points to his son, Jesus. That's what Jesus said to us in Luke 24. He he said, all that has been written about me in the scriptures is fulfilled in your hearing, is here, is here I am. 
Because God is the author, we can be confident in what the Scriptures say and its reliability. But because God is the author, we can also be confident in in Scripture's sufficiency. That is, if God spoke it, and if He wants, whatever purpose He wants for for that revelation of Himself, it will be sufficient because He is all-powerful. He is able to um, communicate that to us. So the Scriptures contain everything we need to know God, everything for salvation and godly living. You hear people say, but the the Bible doesn't tell me how I need to respond to, you know, whether I can download pirated movies or not. Uh, You know, because the internet wasn't around when when the New Testament writers wrote, and definitely not around the time of Moses, although they did have tablets in the time of Moses. So those who've got tablets, you can be like, whew, old idea. Um, Just don't use a chisel. It's different now, okay? Yeah, they'll break. Um, so, So, but now God has spoken very clearly and given us that knowledge of salvation and how to live. And so therefore, we can stand seeing what God has said to us. And the point that we see most clearly what he said is in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the place in history where Bible claims, history claims, God was on this earth. Unlike any other religion, there's actually a person who's here, who's drawn a line in the sand to say, God has come. I am here. And Jesus came to speak God to us. Anyone um, who wants to see the Father needs to come through me, says Jesus. In Jesus, God became man and he passed on God's truth to the apostles who then wrote it down in the words of Scripture so that we might know what God thinks. There's no need for any more special revelation, no special words from God to come because we've had God the Son. There, there is no person who is greater than Jesus. There's no knowledge of God that anyone can have that is more than God the Son. There, there is no heavenly being like that. There is no institution, institution that can kind of oversee this is what God really meant. Uh, there are no rituals that help us to get closer to God. The closest we can get to God is face to face with God the Son. He's superior to all previous means of God revealing himself and God saving his people. In Jesus, you have the absolute and final word of God. Therefore, Scripture, God's word, is enough. Because because the work of Jesus is enough. If Jesus adequately reveals God to us, then as as he has spoken this word to the apostles and they've written it down, we, we don't need extra words. The sufficiency of Jesus and the sufficiency of Scripture stand and fall together. If you pull down one, you pull down the other. So does God still speak to us today? Yes, absolutely he does. He spoke through his Spirit then as he inspired Scripture to to write down the authoritative Word of God. But today he makes that Word come alive by his Spirit. He prompts us, he, he molds us, he changes us, he encourages us. He comforts us by the work of his Spirit. Yes, he speaks as we encourage one another with all hymns and psalms and spiritual songs that Paul says in Colossians. Um, And we go back to scripture for that. But he communicates with us directly, but it's not ongoing revelation. God doesn't reveal anything new to us today. 
We must test everything we hear and think God is saying to us and say, oh, I feel burdened by God. I feel challenged by God to do this. We must test it against what the apostles first taught about what the ones who've been sent by Jesus have said. Only Paul can say, my word to you is God's word to you. No one else can say that except the other apostles. (laughs) There's no one from that point on that can reveal more of God to us. Scripture is sufficient for knowing God, for God revealing himself to us to find all that we need. And we must test everything we have against that scripture. Well, clarity is another aspect of the word of God. Often I hear people say, you know, there are so many interpretations of the Bible. How can we actually know what it means? You know, it's just not clear. Um, people I know, people who are very dear to me, is like, you know, it's, you just, there are so many that I, I, can't, I, I can't work out which one to take and therefore we can't take any. But that's not right when we talk of history. There, there are many historians who have a view of what went on, but something went on. And in history, we need to take the accounts that exist and and pull them together and see what they say about the events that have happened. And history, I hold, is very, very clear that the events around Jesus did happen. And that we can know who he is and what he's done. And within the the grammar and the verbs and the conjunctions and the prepositions of, of language, we meet God the Son. We meet God the Creator. It is possible for us to misinterpret Scripture. But if Scripture is properly interpreted, it's always true. Let me say it again. It's possible for us to misinterpret Scripture. But if Scripture is properly interpreted, it is always true. So you can think too highly of your interpretation of Scripture, but you cannot think too highly of Scripture's interpretation of itself. As God interprets his own word and his own history, we must listen. When Paul says in Galatians that the promises to Abraham all find their fulfillment in Christ, and in Abraham's seed, not seeds, but seed singular, and that seed is Jesus, then we must listen to what God says he said when he spoke back in Genesis 12. We must let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's why we need to keep coming back to how does the word of God expect us to receive it? And in this passage, Paul sees the message that that he spoke, that it's to be effective. Did you see that in verse 13? You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the message of God. You ready? Which also works effectively in you believers. Paul expected it to to have an effect, to be able to be understood and to therefore seek change. And that's exactly what happened in these Thessalonian believers. So you, you can use the word of God to come to wrong conclusions, but you can't find any wrong conclusions in the word of God. That's why we work hard to work out what it says. That's why we spend our time in the passage looking through what the grammar is actually about. That's why at Auckland EV we hold the Bible as the ultimate authority. Not not church structure, not some new revelation from God or what I like to think God's saying to me now or some prophecy that God is going to take me or this church on a new place. No, no, no. God has spoken through his son. Hebrews 1, very, very clear. In the past, God spoke in many ways through various times, but now he has spoken to us in his son. And so we hold God's word as that ultimate authority. And if it's the word of God, then authority is what it must have. 
If God spoke it, do you see how important it is to see that Scripture is divine, that this actually is the message of God? It's a little bit different talk today. It's a little bit more doctrinal in the way we're thinking. But it's so important to see that this is God to us. Because when the Bible is interpreted correctly, when you're paying attention to its original context, to the genre of the way it was written, uh, thinking through the author's original intent, the Bible is never wrong in what it affirms. And therefore, it must never be minimalized. It is the last word on everything it teaches. It's the last word on everything it teaches. Now, we all give something the last word in our life, right? We all let something have the final kind of say, uh, that, that spot that kind of says, yep, you can, that, that, they'll have the, the last say. The question for us is, what will that be? Will it be culture? Uh, will it be my logic? Uh, the way I want to see things all fit together, will it be what some guy on YouTube says? Uh, will it be our friends? Or will it be God's word? Throughout history, people have emphasized all sorts of tradition and logical arguments as greater than or equal to the authority of God's word. I have to say, this is not how Scripture itself sees itself. The last word always goes to the Word of God. Well, finally, the necessity of the Word of God. Why is it necessary that God would speak? Um, I'll show you why. Because if you want to know God, you need Him to reveal Himself to you. You need him to tell you about himself and who he is. I'll do a quick experiment, okay? In my back pocket, I have something. Now, when you put your hand up, can you please tell me what it is? Yeah. A calculator. Thank you. No? Anyone else? Yeah. The one ring to rule them all. I wish. No. Any other ideas? My wallet, okay? Anyone? Anyone else? Yeah. Car keys, okay. No? Maybe? My bottom. That's so rude. That's great. It's not in my back pocket. My back pocket's on it. Um, So now who is happy to say, I know with absolute certainty what is in Rowan's back pocket right now? You can't. You can have all sorts of dreams and visions. You could guess. You could say, it could be this, it could be that. Um, you, you probably could have guessed. It was, it was just a receipt, like a bit of paper. Nothing too fancy. But unless I tell you about myself, you cannot know me. You cannot have access to who I am. I need to reveal it to you. I could just stand here. You know, what's my favorite color? You know, you, You can say whatever you want. You can say all the colors of the rainbow. But unless I say it's yellow, you won't know. Um, So it is with God. It is necessary that he speaks, that he reveals himself to us. For if he hasn't done that, we we can't climb up to him and be like, right, I'm going to find out what you're like. Rip open his mouth and be like, you know, how do we, does he even have a mouth? (laughs) We could even stand if we lived in the first century and looked at Jesus. But if Jesus did not speak, 
he did not communicate himself, we would have nothing. No, it is absolutely necessary that God is the first one who moves towards us, that he reveals himself to us. And Paul says this happens in these words that are in your hand. Throughout history, God has spoken. You can know the creator of all things. What I would give to hear God speak. Just read. For through humanity, God has revealed himself and most clearly and perfectly in his son. Is there more of God than he's revealed? Absolutely. Certainly there is. We can't even comprehend an infinite God who speaks and creation comes into being. But here's the thing. If he's good and he's revealed himself, then everything he has said about himself is true. And therefore, everything he has said about himself, I can know about this living God. It is necessary that God speaks. Not only for that reason, but also for the reason that we like to think we're God. We often like to think that we want to put our logic above anyone else's or everything must fit into our way of viewing the world. But if God made us, if there is one who made us, and if we've rebelled against that God, we are somehow broken and we can't see him as he truly is. We need God's own view of himself to be revealed clearly. And even then, as we read the Bible, we still get it wrong. We need God's spirit. We need God himself to help if you want, put on the glasses of Scripture to be able to see Him as He truly is. The Bible is absolutely necessary. I've told this story before, but uh, a pastor that I met uh, in Australia, um, he's actually been to New Zealand, but was in um, a country that's a Muslim country, uh, that he was a pastor in that country and under severe oppression and persecution. Which is about to, we're about to hear about that in this next section of 1 Thessalonians. And... Um, he said that as he grew up, he had no access to Christianity. He had no access to the word of God. And one night he had a dream. And he, in this dream, he saw this face. He'd never heard the name Jesus, but in the dream, he went, that is Jesus. And he is the true and living God. He has no idea why it happened. What, he's like, I just felt like he, I, I understood the true and living God. It wasn't that he was seeking him out. And from that point on, he went to mosque every day. And as they bowed down and worshipped to Allah, he sung in his head the only Christian song he knew, Jingle Bells. Because it's Western, right? And Christianity is Western. So he bowed down singing Jingle Bells until he found a Bible. So in his hands, he got a Bible. And at that point, he said, oh, it was like that vision was just a dim little tinsy, wincy, leany, uh, uh, whatever that word is, light. <laughs> And what he saw was God revealed to him. He's like, I don't want to go back to dreams and visions. I don't want to seek that stuff. When we've got God revealed to us through his son, Jesus, the men who knew him, revealing him to us. Why would you not want to read the word? But so often, what do we want? We want God to speak in dreams and visions and miraculous ways. You have in front of you the words, the human words of those who knew Jesus best, his three closest friends. And those around him who've passed it on to us, we get the picture of God. And we have access to the creator of the universe. It is necessary that we have this word of God. That is the only way we can know him and know his salvation. Point number two on your outlines, if you're following, what is the purpose of God's word? Well, we see in this passage here in Thessalonians, that there's kind of a twofold purpose of what happens with God's word. Um, it's not on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles open, verse 14, oh, we'll go back one, sorry. The first purpose was, you see, for the, um, 
the Thessalonians, they accepted Paul's word as the word of God. And therefore, they imitated the churches in Judea. Verse 14, for brothers, um, you became imitators of God's churches in Christ. They're in Judea. They actually went, yes, we're in. We want to serve Jesus as the king. We want to make him our ruler. They, they heard God to them. And so they were saved. The purpose of God's word is to see people come and put their faith in his son, Jesus. But it has another purpose. Look at what that same word did to those around. So verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, uh, since you've also suffered the same things from the people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews. You ready? Listen to how these Jews that Paul's talking about responded to the word of God, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. God's word sometimes judges. When we don't respond to it in that way of hearing it, what happens? As a result, verse 16, they're always completing the number of their sins and wrath has overtaken them at last. They reject the life-giving word of God then they reject the salvation he offers and stand like we all should under the anger of God for pretending to be him, pretending we're in control of this world when we're not. God's word has two purposes, to save and to judge. And in both of those purposes, God is held high. He is the one who is glorified. People look to him and say, you are God. On the very last day, every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord but your response to him now determines what happens from that moment on for the rest of eternity, whether it's wrath or salvation. God's word has two purposes. And our response to that word is vitally important. The option we have is to hear it as it really is, like the Thessalonians did, as if God were standing at the end of the bed speaking to us, saying, have you seen my son, Rowan? Have you seen that he died in your place and offered his life so that you can live forever? Have you heard that I am in control? Do you know me? Have you seen the way I've acted throughout history? It's like that when you hear it as God to us. It's, wow, by his spirit, we see and hear God's actions in the past and God's word to us today. Or we can reject that word. And rejecting that word brings the wrath of God. And that's where we see the inevitability of persecution. Hang with me here for a second. Everyone will have something to do with persecution. It's quite clear here, and from chapter 3 we see, Paul's quite clear, that persecution will happen. If you trust Jesus, if you follow him as your king, then you're going to get the same response that he did. You're not going to get a better response than Jesus, are you? If he is God on earth, if he's the one who, who spoke and creation came into being, what makes us think that if we follow him, it's going to be an easier road? Paul says the Jews, they killed Jesus. The prophets who were their own people, the ones who, who wrote, rose up from amongst them and told them, this is what God is saying to you, this is how to live, come back to God, they killed them. They persecuted us, the apostles. Do you think you're going to get a better go? Persecution is inevitable if you want to follow Jesus. Why? Because he's a different king. People don't like hearing about someone else who's in control. They don't see it. They reject it. Or if you reject this word of God, 
Paul's saying here, you'll persecute. You'll be involved with persecution in some sense. You'll actually be saying uh, to others, there's no God. You'll, you'll, you'll minimalize and marginalize kind of any Christian viewpoint because it's Christian. And you have a, a, a kind of propensity to say, I want nothing to do with this God. Persecution is inevitable. Please hear that. If you've heard someone say to you, come to Jesus and your life will get better. Everything will be great. You know, it'll be just a wonderful time. You get, your sicknesses will be healed. That's just not, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't make sense. We're at war and Satan, according to 1 Thessalonians, according to God, is trying to ruin God's rule in this world. Why would it be easy? What I want to show you here is just something for a second. I want to show you that even in this decision, God is in control. I don't know if you saw it. God's purposes always work out. He's 100% the author of life. But also humanity is responsible. Do you see the kind of conundrum we've got here? It's like the dual natures of Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. And the dual authorship of the scriptures, fully divine without losing its humanity, human words, human authors, yet one God speaking. So it is with the author of all life. God is the one who is in control. Yet we are really responsible for our choices. The two are hand in hand and they're right here in this passage without diminishing one another. While we must make a real response to the word of God, we're held responsible for that response. And it is a real response. Salvation is the receiving of the word of God as it really is. The word of God. It's not 50% me. I did half the work and then God did the rest. He kind of came down. No, if God did not reveal himself, we could not know him. If he did not work in my heart so I could see him clearly, I wouldn't be able to follow him. And yet I really did choose to follow him. If you're of the opinion that basically God is limited to our choice, I, I, I can't see how that is held biblically. Paul, in his inspired understanding of the word, attributes even our response to God. Even our response to this message, he attributes it to God. Look at verse 13 again. This is why we constantly thank God. Sorry, you thank God. Why? Because when you received the message about God, you heard uh, from us, you welcomed it as not a human message, but as it truly is, the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. Do you see this? Paul thanks God for their response. Why? Because God's the one who initiated their response in them. God is the one who is in control. God is the author of all, yet we still have this real choice and we must hold both. Nowhere in the Bible is God's sovereign purpose a barrier to salvation. Nowhere does it say, well, I haven't chosen you. You can't come in. God's like, no, come. People are called to respond to the word, to to receive it as it really is, the word of God. But God is the one who reveals himself to us by his spirit through his word. Never, ever forget that. He is in control of all things. He is the author of all things. And Paul's great concern in this letter, and so therefore God's great concern, is that this Thessalonian church that he's writing to will be able to persevere. They'll continue to keep treating Paul's word as God's word. You ever met anyone who wants to divorce the words of Paul from the words of Jesus? They're like, oh, Jesus, I like Paul. Ah, can't handle him. You can't. You can't divorce the two. This is God speaking through Paul. And his concern now is that these Thessalonian Christians will 
continue through the persecution. The question for us as we sit here today in comfy cinema seats uh, is how will you respond to this word of God? Do you treat it as it really is? And I don't mean just intellectually. I mean, do you open up God's word and expect him to be like he's at the end of your bed, speaking to you, revealing more of himself to you by his spirit through his word? Because if that's true, that's what he's doing. In these human words, have you heard God? You no longer need a voice from a fire to hear God speak or a sign in the sky. It's plain and simple words on a page spoken through human authors. That is God to us. So how will you respond to this message from God? Will you sit under the word of God and let it shape your life and your actions and your aspirations? Will you delight in the word of God? God has revealed himself to me. This is my creator, my sustainer, the one who saved me. Will you hear these human words as God? What about when persecution comes? My temptation, if you're anything like me, is to, well, not stand up. To kind of just be a little bit more quiet when persecution comes looking. If persecution hasn't come to us, to me, I wonder, is that because... I haven't enacted what God has said. I haven't lived out that I'm living for another king in this world, that I serve another master, that isn't culture, that isn't kind of personality, that isn't um, popularity or, or career. I serve the true and living God who says to live a certain way that is different from the way of the world around us. The Thessalonians turn from idols and turn to the true and living God. Have you let him shape your life? Are you shaping your life and actions around him or are you waiting for something else? Do you feel the pressure like me to speak so similarly to the world around us? To act with the same values and the same content to the world around us? That we become virtually indistinguishable from those around us? That's not what happened with Paul. In fact, when he went to the next town... They followed him and persecuted him there. Will you speak his word? If Jesus is the king and God's message has been made clear, we need to be willing not only to speak that message, but to actively speak out the news of who Jesus is and its implications for the world around us. We have plenty of opportunity. Euthanasia. Right? It's in the press at the moment. It's everywhere. Abortion. The whole planned parenting kind of people. Do, do we speak out on what God says about where human life starts and the value of human life and who is in control of human life? About same-sex marriage. Do we offer love but hold out the truth of what the Scriptures say? They hate us, Paul says, because they hated him. They marginalize us because they want to marginalize Jesus. The world wants to downplay our message. And don't for one second think that secularism is neutral. Do you find yourself like me saying, oh, it's not really the place of, of Christianity to be in the public sphere. Really? There's not one sphere of existence that Jesus isn't king over. Of course we should be. If we love the world and we're convinced that God's way is the best way, of course we should lovingly and carefully 
try and explain to people the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for the world that we live in. Satan has won the battle when we think we should keep our Christianity private. What a win. Nothing to say, nothing to share. Now we have the words of the creator of the universe and we have a duty to speak, to speak of his son whose death was sufficient for everyone, to call people to point him, to point to the true and living God that he is, to treat him as king. But I want to say, please be very careful in the way we do this. Please be loving in the way that we hold out the love of Jesus who laid his life down for us. Speaking up doesn't mean we need to be arrogant. Doesn't mean we need to kind of say, oh, I'm so right. Look how great I am. Remember, we will be nowhere unless God first made himself known to us. But hearing God's word as it really is means we will do it. As a church, we will speak up when issues come up. As individuals, we will speak up. We'll we'll choose to live radical lives because we've heard God speak to us. We've been convinced of that. Because there, in these words, we meet God. How will you respond to God today? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning that you have spoken to us and that we have clearly your word passed on through the apostles to us today that we might be able to know you and love you. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself more and more in the way that we need to change our lives, that we would see that full revelation of your son in Jesus and we would then serve him as king. Father, I pray for people here who are considering who Jesus is and weighing up if he is who the Bible claims. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to them too. You would help all of us as a church not to judge others and put others down, but to hold out the hope and the truth that comes in your word. Father, we ask this day that we might hear your words as they really are. God, to us. Amen.